and he's seen this place at its lowest point, and and he wants to be a part of something great again. Um, he's not naive. He knows uh, the time is limited moving forward, but he, he also knows that uh, we have a much better team today than, than we've had in the previous year. Yeah, I mean, our guys, you know, we've got such a great mindset day to day, and and, and obviously we're all watching Miggy. Listen, we watch, look up in the stands, and they all got the iPhones, and they're all video and it we're all going to remember where we were standing what we were doing who we were talking to you know actually how quiet it was um and and so we all we're all fans at that moment so when when it happens i just think a collective sigh for all of us because we could now congratulate miggy in in appropriate manner and then and then get to the game so that audio was from saturday as miguel cabrera of course the 3000th hit and he went there and got some audio i've said it three times but it was just really cool for I haven't seen Rieger in quite a long time and I was going to catch up with him. So welcome to Woodward Tigers. Again, I still have to get used to, I can't say exactly pod, but I understand why. So just welcome to Woodward Tigers here at the Woodward Sports Network. I'm Rohedo Castillo. Simon is Chris Brown and Youper. And you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Heart Media, and Podcast Addict. Also wanted to plug, shout out to Woodward Pistons. We've been plugging ourselves. So thank you, Woodward Pistons. Much appreciated. What this weekend was, was Miguel Cabrera. And we wanted to do a quick salute because, quite frankly, he deserves it. It's one of those things where I know that in this town, and somebody, I listen to Sports Talk Radio today, which I hardly don't do because I just don't ever, I, I think you, Chris, I think you and I talked about this before. You never want to say something you heard on the radio from another person and then just... Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's one of the reasons I feel bad, but I don't often read stuff written by our friends over at like Bless You Boys or, or things like that, just because I don't want to. And if if I think of something or write it, I don't want it to have been secretly stolen. You know, right. what was the old story like uh, George Harrison? George, George Harrison. What was his song? Uh, my Sweet Lord or Oh My. What, oh yeah, yeah, My Sweet Lord. Yeah, he got sued for it, right? Yeah, because he 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 basically stole it. But he didn't do it like on purpose. I think he just woke up and the melody was stuck in his head. And then he's like, uh-oh. And so he ended up just buying it. And so basically what I'm saying is I'm George Harrison. No, but cool. like I don't listen to the radio because mostly I don't expect to hear. This sounds like really lame and tacky, but I don't expect to hear anything insightful from callers <laughs> or the hosts. You know, I, there's a reason we do podcasts. I, I think we can get more in-depth and, and there's less like, uh, hey, who's on your route, Mount, uh, Mount Rushmore for the Tigers? I want to be Two, Ringo. Four, eight, five, three, nine. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Huper. I'm going to be Ringo. If, he's, if he gets to be George, uh, well, uh, on Ringo. I, well, this is I'll the be, long yeah, the ride. Can, you, I was just saying you can keep the rhythm. That's what you can do. You can keep the rhythm. <laughs> All right. So, but uh, oh, apparently, uh, by the way, there's some uh, go, Steve over in our Discord channel. You, uh, the Discord channel, Tigers Discord, is growing. You should grow in there. Grow in there. Go in there, talk Tigers, talk Tigers chat keeps going all the time. But apparently Greg Soto was mad at him for the tweet about his PFP. Wait, Soto was mad at, at Steve? Oh, uh, Cody. Oh, hey, Cody. Right? Wait, but he just said that, like, I thought he said that, like, this is harder than it looks. And or yeah, he said that, he had, I guess it's been an adventure with him before. I don't know. You know, players, they don't, they get sensitive about stuff. Uh, yeah. When you point out that they've made mistakes, uh, which is, I guess it's their right. You know, they they do an incredibly hard job, and we we point out the one time they screw up, like, oh, look at that bum. Uh, <laughs> but at the same time, you know, you kind of you, you hope as a professional athlete, you learn to kind of shrug it off. By the way, uh, I wanted to also provide this too as well. This is a the Dan Dickerson call. Incredible journey. Upright, relaxed stance, tucks the left shoulder in as he cocks the bat over the right. The one-one ground ball, base hit. Yeah. 3,000 for Miguel Cabrera! Raises his arms. Iglesias, the first to hug him. The Tigers' dugout empties <laughs> as they charge over to first base and let the hug dispensing begin. I'll tell you, love the call. Really did. Uh, I was listening to the call. Uh, I was driving home from my daughter's lacrosse match and uh, didn't get to see it, but I, I tweeted about it afterwards. It's one of the beauties of baseball. Dan painted the picture for me. 
and I didn't feel at all cheated in the moment to hear that on radio. It was fantastic. And then I saw the video of him later. I loved when he punched that fist in the air. You know, when he saw that ball go through, he goes, yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> it was really a pretty cool moment. Uh, so kudos to Dan Dickerson for making that even a better time. Yeah, remind me of Judd Nelson in Breakfast Club. <laughs> well, you know, it, it reminded me, I like it when they do, They every now and then they will put out video of an announcer doing that. And there was one from Seattle last year, I want to say. It's the same sort of thing where the announcer, you could see him like getting super, I don't know, I just imagine them sitting there not getting excited about the game. You can hear them getting excited about it. You still imagine them sitting kind of perfectly still. And then when you see them actually expressing some emotion, even though, you know, that's probably not ideal from a journalist but that's not really their job right they're there to like like you said paint the picture and if they're going to get excited whatever they have to do to do it yeah yeah i mean i went down right before the at bat or i think right in the beginning of that inning and i sat down i sat down with ghost man steve down there because he has some really good seats behind home plate and i wanted woodward wanted me to capture the moment and i thought it was important to do that anyways as you I pan around the whole entire stadiums. It looks packed. Crowd was into it. It was loud. And just off the heels of an article I was writing about how in some ways it felt like Miggy was disrespected. So, you know, it's not the, it's not one of those things where you're going to see, we don't remember. We may not see this again, honestly, with the way it's trending right now among the hitters. And we saw it here in Detroit. It's the first time over 100 years we saw a moment like this in terms of a 3,000th hit. Of course, Al Kaline's 3,000th hit was in Baltimore off Dave McNally. And that's also a, a great moment. There's only three Tigers that have this moment. Also, we've seen Witness, one of the greatest right-handed hitters of all time. And I don't give a crap if you think he's fat. I don't give a crap. I don't, I don't care. I don't care about your stupid preferences of how you viewed athletes. You're an asshole if you think... You can think whatever you want about Miguel Cabrera. Fine. But don't just the, the, the amount of, I think I, and somebody said this earlier and I, I kind of agree. I don't think he, I don't think he gets enough respect in this town. I really don't think so. I think he, to a certain extent he does, but there's a part of people who are just so curmudgeon and just old school. Go ahead, Chris. No, I, I think there was a good two, three years there until these milestones started creeping up where people were really just very upset with Cabrera. You know, calling him, saying he's stealing money. And, and it's not like he's been significantly better these last two years, but he's getting closer to the milestones. And everybody, I think, is kind of, kind of realizing, like, hey, it's not coming back. We we got to celebrate what we can get left and what we had, which was, when you said one of the great right-handed hitters all the time, I... I I tend to think that, that Cabrera and Pujols are probably the two best hitters of all time. I, I don't, I'm one of those people who just doesn't really buy into, I mean, there's great players from history and, and it's unfair to them to say like, Hey, if they had had modern training techniques, they wouldn't be able to hit today's pitching. But how many, even Henry Aaron, how many, how many pitchers did Henry Aaron see through 95? Like in a season, you, you might yeah. see more in one game now than you saw in a whole month back then. And it's, I just think the, the game is so much different now. Like I, like uh, Harmon Killebrew was basically Mike Hesman 60 years later, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't mean that disrespectfully, but it's like, yeah, Mike Hesman hit 430 home runs in, in the minor leagues, but couldn't quite get to the majors uh, because the pitching was so much better. But Harmon Killebrew, I don't know. I mean, that's just a name that popped off my head. So anyway, yeah. <laughs> I, um, I mostly agree with all of that. Only I would put, I would take Ted Williams out of that just for a moment, only because he missed so much time in World mm -hmm. War II and Korea, and still put up the numbers he did. Uh, yeah, and, I think he's on another level. But otherwise, I think that I would agree with that all the way. And I think, you know, I think the batting eye translates probably from era to era. Uh, I'm right. sure it's much harder when, when you see more velocity and bigger breaking balls. But you know, Williams was an amazing talent, too. Like like I said, they're, it's just weird. Like, I feel like Wilt Chamberlain, would basically be Andre Drummond at this point. Like it's just when you're <laughs> when you're in different era and you put up crazy stats, I, I just don't think it translates. So to see what Cabrera and Pujols and, and certainly a couple other guys, you know, Mike Trout, these guys who have done it in the modern era, and I think they'll be the best hitters until 
Juan Soto and Vladimir Guerrero past him or whatever in the future because the pitching is going to only get better unless they make the ball heavier or something. I did see one one kind of projection that maybe Manny Machado could get to 3,000 hits. Has a realistic chance. Yeah. Otherwise, think, it's going to be a while. I think Dan, Dan Saborski had Zips run that last year when Cabrera was getting close. And yeah, it was, it was like Altuve and Freeman were the two closest. And then after that, it's like nobody under 20% chance or over a 20% chance. So yeah, to, to Roger's point, you know, what a couple minutes ago, yeah, we, we almost certainly will never see this again. Yeah. I mean, it's a, I don't want, it's almost similar to like a Haley's comet kind of situation. And yeah. so by the way, uh, Jeremy, you're welcome. He, Jeremy on YouTube, I gave him tickets yesterday. He came down all the way down from Cadillac, Michigan. And by the way, for the people who are ripping on the poor girl, I posted a girl who came down from Lansing to watch the game. So she came all the way down from Lansing. I posted it on Woodward, Woodward, uh, the sport, uh, Woodward Sports Twitter. And there's some fans like, oh, she came all the way down from Lansing on Twitter. I'm like, get the, where are you? Are come on? What is, is this a is this a a measurement of your of your? I, I know what I want to say, but I can't say it. But uh, I'm just gonna say. Well, no, I'll say it. You know what is this? I mean, do you have that? You know, SDE uh, SDE. I mean, small dick energy to rip on somebody for how many miles they travel to watch a baseball game. Good lord, man! All right, enough of that griping. I don't. I'm not. It's not. That's not what we're here for. We're here to celebrate Miguel Cabrera. And a fantastic win by the Tigers in general as they certainly helped the run differential quite <laughs> nicely in one game. And then in a doubleheader, Chris and I talked about this yesterday, but I wanted to get your thoughts on Bo Brisky's start, who I thought for his first time out, thought he did pretty good. We knew this the we knew the shortcomings of his I don't say shortcomings rather, but he's still developing a third pitch. But Uper, what did you think of his start on Saturday? Uh, I thought it was more than acceptable. I think, you know, ha- having seen him in person uh, the week before here in Des Moines, you know, I thought he looked reasonably close to the same guy. Just, you know, major leaguers are going to tattoo a couple pitches that AAA guys aren't, you know. But I thought he was very competitive. I thought he showed that he, he'll be able to take the mound against some other teams and hopefully crank out a few quality starts. And I'm sure there'll be some... Uh, speed bumps for him too but i, I thought it was a, a very good outing more than acceptable no reason why he can't give them a few more especially when you consider he's pitched two games over a ball you know uh pretty impressive yeah you know any, anytime it, it's or double a sorry yeah when when you um compare his first outing to say casey Bises or Tarek schools or matt manning's like it's it's right uh, like I remember Mises mostly. I don't remember. I think Manning was against the Angels. I don't remember Scoogle, but um, yeah, it, it was a more memorable outing for me, possibly just because it was the day of Cabrera's 3,000th hit. But yeah. I, I, unlike those other dudes, I, I don't think the ever moment or the moment ever got to him. Like the other guys eventually all kind of crumpled under the pressure and it, totally understandably, you know, it's something you've been working for for your entire life. I almost feel like his story was so improbable that he's like, eh, all right, let's just keep going. Cause it's like, you know, the one thing I keep trying to hit home is, is 27th round pick 801 people picked ahead of him. He's the ninth player from that draft to make the majors, but the, the fifth pitcher the he, the number one pitcher taken that draft, Nick Lodolo made his debut April 13th. The 432nd pick, uh, pitcher that draft made his debut 10 days later. It's, it's just remarkable. He's got 140 innings. A professional experience i was saying earlier that's that's not many more than like justin verlander had before he made his mlb debut and same with rick porcello like this is a guy who suddenly out of nowhere it, it, you know has like first round level progression through the system and, and so him doing anything was remarkable and and what i like to see the most there we were talking about you know the fourth inning it looked like oh, that might be it for him he got out of it and they put him out in the fifth and it was like a six pitch inning for him. Yeah. He just, yeah. this guy doesn't seem to get, uh, to, to get, uh, you know, flustered, which is a great, a great, uh, uh, you know, what do you, what do you want to call it? Characteristic to have for a pitcher. By the way, Jeremy mentions in the, in our YouTube chat, he's absolutely correct that Terry Scoble, two innings, four runs on seven hits and struck out one. It was his next start against Cleveland. We fared much better. But that's when he was kind of doing those short starts. Like, I, don't, I don't know how to say it. Like, 
But yeah, that's that was just a first appearance. As far as that goes, and, and getting back to Brisket for a second, one of the, one of the key things that was is pitch count because we looked at some of the starting pitchers as they're progressing more towards five, towards sixth and seventh innings. And what Jay Jaffe wrote about how pitchers now are emptying their tank at the fifth and sixth versus comparatively seeking the compared to the seventh. I thought Brisky for, for whatever this is worth to go out there. Just, I mean, he's been at what 75, 80 pitches as I recall down in, in Toledo, but go out there and to have the kind of success he did. So look at his numbers. So it's, he had fifth, five innings. He threw 73 pitches was right around what we predicted. And he threw 40, 45 of them for strikes. And the fact he was getting a swing, miss stuff, six swing and misses. Comparatively speaking what the Tigers have been in terms of strikeouts right now and, and getting pitchers, excuse me, getting their starters to swing and miss at stuff. That's pretty good. That to me is kind of like another thing. The ground ball outs were good too. He was able to work his way out of jam that way too. And I'm not going to try to micromanage it any more than I can, but it's just, I don't like, again, for outside of Drew Hutchinson's five strikeouts to two innings, which was another eye popping moment on Saturday, I thought Brisky just to go out there like that, that's a really good debut. I was trying to think of, I will have to do the research on best debuts. And Chris, I think this, I know this doesn't sound like I'm <laughs> we're embellishing a, a loss here. Five, hit, you know, the five innings, three runs, three hits, three walks. But there has to be among what we've seen in the last 15, 20 years in terms of open debut for starters from farm. Yeah. I, I, you know, I think uh, if he were, if this were his fifth start, they probably would have given him another inning and he could have gone out there and given him a quality start. You know, it's like he gave up two home runs. That was basically it. And uh, that's kind of what we saw in his first outing in Toledo. And then uh, he bounced back, didn't get shaken by it. And I think, you know, one of the things he found out was that major league hitters are going to see his changeup better and see his fastball better and definitely see his breaking balls better. So he just has to refine his command a little bit and, and work on, you know, I don't think he deals too much with the sequencing, but but uh, just some little aspects like there. And then eventually, if we want him to, be more than like a number five starter. He's going to have to find something in terms of a breaking ball that can help him get out. I mean, he used it okay, but those were the two pitches that that got hit very far. And uh, so he's going to have to work on that. But the other two pitches are, I think, more than adequate at the major league level. So I don't know. Yeah, like I remember I wrote a piece last year about the best debuts, and I think I think it was because of Akil Badu, and it went back to Andy Van Hecken. Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. So, I think he pitched a nine inning complete game with one strikeout or something like that in his debut. I yeah. want to say like Alfredo Figaro had a random great debut or something like that. So you don't want to make too much of it, but I, I think we we're more sophisticated now and we saw some good things there. Yeah. I mean, as far as it goes, I mean, the rest of the rest of the weekend, in terms of the other game Tigers lost second game and on Sunday offense kind of got quiet again. And that's where, there's a positive concern for that as they head to Minnesota where I, again, you don't marry a team. They're, they're six and nine, not nice. And uh, I'm not worried again. You, you don't worry about those kind of things until 40 games in, but it, you have to kind of wonder where there's something like, again, some of the lapses on somebody asked me on Twitter about, all these base running lapses and just, I think they're trying to force the press issue, which is fine because it's actually not fine. What I mean is, is that they're trying to force something because they know full well, the runs are being limited. It was another game where they scored just two runs. And in terms of runners and scoring position, there were two for, there were two for eight and Robbie Grossman. I mean, you get the positive of the weekend. Robbie Grossman's over 300. He had a good weekend, but I mean, Tucker Barnhart too looked like he snapped out of it a little bit. Spencer Torkelson, another hit. So he gets closer and closer to possibly maybe do we maybe do we put Spencer Torkelson at cleanup with Canaleo struggling right now, batting 158 and not having that power. He was 0 for 4 on Sunday. And then Akil Badu, just a walk, but again, no hits and there's a positive concern. But let me ask you guys this about Spencer Torkelson. I, I, I'm using a sports talk radio term, but do you, do you move him up? 
you know, last year, AJ Hinch used how many lineups for the, for the year? I mean, it was a very high number. I don't have it in front of me. I don't think there's any problem with um, trying that and uh, seeing, you know, if you find a mix that starts to click, uh, certainly he is having quality at bats uh, where he won't embarrass himself batting second, third, or fourth, you know, wherever they decide to put him. Uh, but, you know, considering that a lot of guys aren't hitting and he is starting to hit the ball well and giving competitive at bats, you might as well get him that extra at bat every game. Uh, if you can, I have no problem with it. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think, uh, I think they're comfortable with letting him probably for a couple hundred at bats, you know, to hit where he was. I like, when did they move Akil Badu up to lead off last year? That felt like in May, early June. Yeah. Was, I think it was, yeah, it was later on. It was like a month or two after the season began. I feel like they gave him like 150 plate appearances just to get comfortable. And then, so what's interesting with Torkelson is I don't know necessarily. I mean, he, he does, I think, lead the team in home runs, but there's just not a whole lot of power on this team right now. Nope. Uh, so you could put him at, at cleanup. I almost feel like he'd be better off hitting second, but yeah. that's kind of a good place for Meadows too. Like, I don't know, Meadows, Torkelson, and Grossman somewhere in the top three would be fine with me. You want those guys because they're all getting on base a ton. You want them. <laughs> it's almost like at this point, and, and to Yoop's point, I think Hinch is a guy who really bases lineup sometimes just based on how he thinks guys are performing right now. If they're seeing the ball well, if he thinks that they're going to come up in situations where they can knock runs in, it's almost like right now. But <laughs> yeah, put Meadows, Grossman, and Torkelson one, two, three, and then put Cabrera fourth because he's getting a ton of uh, singles, so he might knock in some runs. But I don't know. I, I the lineups people always make way too much of the lineups. I think you know it, it's just a. Uh, yeah, Candelario's not hitting, Scope's not really hitting, and if they were, the lineup would look a whole lot better. Yeah, right. And, I don't know, like this, the narrative already out there to put him ahead of, look, I understand Candelario is struggling. He is pressing a little bit, but at the same time, you don't want to rush something in. You don't want to rush it. You're absolutely right, Chris. I mean, having 150 at-bats, play appearances, I mean, this will be his second road oh yeah second road trip coming up here and this is the I mean, this is a long one this is a, you go to minnesota you go to la and that's mm-hmm. where you're going to see the true test the, the dodgers are i mean we, we, again we fawn over the dodgers all the time but rightfully so i mean it's uh yeah tell mm-hmm. damn damn dodgers but before that they take on the dodgers they have a three-game series with the minnesota twins and i haven't really now i mean there's the tigers are Within two games of first place for April, for whatever worth that is. And I'm not trying to, again, not trying to sound like a Debbie Downer, but it's early. So, but either way, the Twins are sitting right now at eight and eight. And in terms of what they've been able to, in terms of pitching, what they're looking at, what the Tigers are facing, you know, what's funny is that I was looking at the, when they acquired Dylan, uh, uh, Dylan Bundy, I was kind of, Wondering, okay, well, is this going to be what version of Dylan Bundy is going to be? The good version. He's three and zero with an ERA of zero point five nine, and he's been able again, like ten, you know, ten hits, only one run, and then Chris Archer's out there. So I thought it was somebody again. I was kind of skeptical about it because with Chris Archer coming off the elbow surgery, but as Chris, if you talked about this before, what the Twins are able to do with pitching, it's. They're miracle workers when it comes to that. Well, they seem particularly good at, at helping guys get velocity. I know a lot of teams like that now, like the Giants got, uh, who was Alex Cobbs, and Alex Cobbs is throwing like four miles an hour faster. I was like, what the hell happened there? But um, yeah, I mean, I think that the Twins, so the Tigers are going to get Chris Paddock, who would they got in the trade from San Diego, one time mm-hmm. kind of top prospect who has a really nice changeup and good command and an interesting fastball, but never really found a breaking ball. And then he tried to find a breaking ball. He's, He's always been a guy whose advanced numbers look better than his actual numbers. Like his FIP is always like a run and a half better than his ERA for, for whatever reason. Um, yeah. So we'll see how they do against him. And then they get Joe Ryan and Bailey Ober, who are two like, who are kind of like Bo Briskies for 
the Twins. Like, they're a higher round draft picks. I think Ryan was originally with the Rays in the ninth or tenth round. And I don't remember, I remember when Ober was there, but there's a 12th round, it was a 12th round pick. So these are guys who are, I don't recall them ever being, Ryan may have snuck into the back of a top 100 list, but these are not guys who were ever like, you know, super highly touted, but they just continue to get better and better. And they've, they're both off to really solid starts this year. And it's kind of one of those frustrating things because they don't appear to be that good. They're guys who, who have really good kind of advanced pitch data rather than, you know, blowing you away with 99. Uh, so it, it'll be a good test for the Tigers. I mean, they're, they're facing three pretty good pitchers here. Be nice to win a series for once. <laughs> um, so, uh, I Ryan had gotten that deal with the Twins. He was in the Olympics last year. Uh, I know the the Rays are pretty high on him. You know, they they certainly marketed him well, and they they use him as a trade chip. But and his, I think what is he's got like a one point eight ERA right now through a couple of starts. Um, what I like about him is he's the anti uh, Casey Mize. That guy pounds people in, and I you know I've seen him saucing people off. And uh, I like pitchers like that. So I'm interested to see what he does. And they are putting up good numbers. But, of course, everybody in baseball pitching-wise is putting up some good numbers because nobody can hit. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's absolutely true. And, and uh, their bullpen has two interesting – I think two interesting arms in Johan – is it John – how do I say his first yeah, name? John Duran, yeah. John uh, Duran, who throws nothing but heat, and he's got a lot of sick movement. 15 strikeouts and nine innings pitched, but in terms of FIP, his FIP right now is at 3.31. He's got a K per nine, though, of 15 really early on. Again, super early numbers, but I and Emilio Pejan, who has struggled with walks. So it, it, Duran has got two walks in that inning. So at some point, when is Duran going to be the closer? Because currently, Pejan is going to be the closer. Are they, are they doing a bullpen by committee right now? No, I, I think. Well, didn't somebody got hurt, right? I thought someone got hurt because I, like, I know Sonny Gray's on the IL. I thought that one Shocker. of the relievers got, hurt, but but like, uh, you know, oh, um, or, 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 um, you're talking about uh, Romero? Uh, maybe I don't. I don't. Maybe I'm mistaken there. Yeah, no, they one, have of the Taylors, one of the Taylor or somebody's. Well, they <laughs> traded him. He didn't get hurt. Yeah. yeah, they traded him. That's right. They traded yeah. to to uh, the the Padres. Right. That's for the Chris Paddock deal. So, yeah, hurt by getting moved from Minneapolis to San Diego. Um, no. No, the, the thing about Duran, and I, I mentioned this before, uh, I don't know if it was on this show, but he's got this, this uh, you know, he's averages 100 miles an hour with his fastball. He's got this nasty breaking ball, and he's got this pitch that everyone loves because it's like, they call it a splinker. It's yeah. a splitter that acts like a sinker, but so far is acting way more like a sinker. And somehow it's 96 miles an hour and it's got splitter movement, but he's given up a bunch of hits and home runs on it because <laughs> I think it's just like a sinker, which people aren't throwing that much anymore. If they are, they're throwing it in different places. But yeah, I mean, he, he's a guy who could come out there and just blow, uh, blow three hitters away pretty easily. I think someone was trying to call it a hard screwball because it has some wicked yeah, break from left to right. It's a really interesting pitch that's just kind of fun. You know, like you go and see Devin Williams's change up. You're like, what the hell is that? And, and yeah. so something like this is, uh, it'll be fun to see. Hopefully it'll be fun to see go over the wall. But uh, I, I imagine if we see him, <laughs> things aren't going well. Well, you got to hope the Tigers offense can find a little consistency. I mean, these aren't overpowering pitchers. Uh, there shouldn't be people who blow them away. Uh, I think. Candelario has always hit pretty well in Minnesota. I, that, that's just a feeling I have. There may be no numbers at all that backs that up, <laughs> but um, it would be good to see some of the back, you know, some of the guys haven't produced break out a little bit. You know, you think of Candelario a few years ago, he started over 17 uh, back in 2020. Uh, I don't even know if he started that hot last year. So I think he'll come around. I, I don't, yeah. he's not hurt. There's no reason why he won't hit. Uh, but it's it's Javi Baez could add a lot to the lineup. Uh, I'm a little worried about that thumb. You know, uh, when Hinch talked about the thumb problem, having to play through it, I think that's going to be an issue. Yeah, and it's gonna especially because you're. I mean, you think about the grip and you do everything with your your thumb, whether it's batting or taking the glove. 
it's going to be a it's going to linger if it if it's going to linger for a pro, if it's going to linger for a while it could definitely affect his how he approaches himself at the plate and okay, you, you can really zap power yeah and, and not to you know there's something that I should mention too about Joe Ryan who has an 81% whiff rate so far and he's one of the you mentioned earlier yeah 81% whiff rate chris 81 uh, percentile or 81 percentile sorry sorry 81 percentile in the whiff rate yeah yeah no he, so go ahead chris i'm sorry well he's he's one of those guys i remember when he first popped up it was he's he's one of those guys with a fastball that just plays the top of the zone and nobody can hit it old chris young disorder <laughs> yeah and he's uh among one of the leaders in xba at 215 so the tigers will have the work cut out for him because if he's able to if the tigers are late on timing right now with the high fastball i can't imagine guy like joe ryan who tops out at average mile an hour of 92 miles per hour yeah it's just it's one of those things where they they just they can't get it um the one thing i ordinarily don't make too much out of uh like player versus team matchups because you know teams change over time but right. akil badu has done a lot of damage against the twins in his short major league career and like i said you don't normally think too much of that but there is that aspect of him having been in the minnesota twins organization that sometimes that can you know you got to put a hitch in your giddy up. I don't know. I he's he's struggling so much this year. I wouldn't expect much, but if he breaks out, uh, then pretend like I said he would. Well, and you know, here's the thing: they don't even have to break out in terms of you know knocking home runs all over. They just right now with with Scope, Candelario, and Badu, those have basically been three automatic outs. If they just get to league average production, <laughs> the offense uh, would see a little bit of help for the rest of the guys who have already been hitting. To answer the question, Jeremy in YouTube chat, they didn't say anything about his thumb as of yet after the game Sunday. So, uh, reportedly, so we'll see. It's, it's gonna be a touch and go situation. But as the other matchups go, yeah, Padilla or Michael Padilla pitches Tuesday. Arado Rodriguez starts the series tomorrow, and Tarek Skubal on Wednesday. It's a day game it's before the Tigers take off again to play the Dodgers. But as far as yeah, there's. This is early season baseball at its finest, but there was a stat today that I shared with Chris that blew my mind about Brian Buxton. Ladies and gentlemen, Brian Buxton is a player that Chris, I would, Chris, I'll let you, I'll, I'll talk about the stat, but I want you to have like how Brian Buxton has been your fancy baseball. Until I traded him a couple of years ago. Um, Yeah, no, Brian Buxton was, a lot of people thought he was the best player in that draft. I don't remember. 2012, I want to say, uh, but uh, the Astros chose Carlos Correa ahead of him because they they were able to save some money, and also they thought he was really good, and it turns out to be true. And yeah, it, in terms of physical talent, Byron Buxton probably doesn't have many peers in baseball. You're talking like Ronald Acuna, Fernando Tatis, just just an elite runner, elite power, and an elite defensive center fielder. Just amazing that he could never ever 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 stay healthy and. He hasn't, I mean, he even got hurt a little bit earlier this year, but fortunately he's come back. But yeah, he's he's the closest thing uh, in modern baseball to Eric Davis when we were kids. Just this incredibly tooled up, except I think he's hitting for better average than Eric Davis usually did. Eric Davis walked more than Buxton, but whatever. Um, and yeah, so I think it was the passing tweet that that basically the Twins are a completely different team when Byron Buxton is playing for them. Yeah, since 2019, the Minnesota Twins are 124 and 73. 101 win pace with a plus 200, 233 run differential when Brian Buxton plays <laughs> and a 200 and per Paul Hembo and a 203 games. He hasn't played the twins are 94, 109, 75 win pace and minus 97 in his last 162 games. Buxton has an 8.4 war, the definition of an impact yeah. player. And that's from Jeff Pass. And he's damn right. What is it? They say 51 games over 500, basically, when he's when he's in the lineup and seven or 10 games below 500. Like, that's a, yeah, he's an MVP level talent if he could ever stay healthy. And part of you know, he's kind of snake bitten, but some of it is the the way he plays, too. He's, he's so fast and, you know, he'll crash the walls and dive. And a lot of his injuries have been really fluky. But no, it's amazing. I don't know if you saw somebody put a highlight package together. Uh, but I think it was just two games against the White Sox this weekend. And he won, I want to say, went four for four with a walk in one game. And the other one, he hit two home runs, including the walk off and extra innings. I think he tied it in like the seventh with a home run. And then just hit a massive, like 465 foot home run 
off Liam Hendricks. Just an amazing talent to watch, and you hope the Tigers can keep him in check. But uh, it wouldn't be shocking if he hits uh, <laughs> hits a couple bombs against the Tigers. So his career stats against the Tigers, a slash line of 302, 346, and 550 with an on-base percentage of 897. And as far as power numbers concerned, he has the he's tied the, the home in terms of home runs. It's the third most. I'm sorry, the second most. He's tied for the most next to the Cleveland Guardians in terms of opponents for for home runs. So, but but strangely enough, Chris against the Guardians, he only is batted 208 against them. Well, I mean, they've probably had better pitching over the lifetime of his career for the most part. You know, um, no, was it was it 2020 when? Buxton beat the Tigers basically with a routine ground ball to shortstop. Just, yes. He, he, you know, like I said, elite runner. He was uh, from the right side of the plate to first base in under four seconds, which you don't see that. And uh, just an, an immense talent. And it's, like I said, it's one of those guys that, that you like to watch. You just kind of wish that he weren't in the Tigers division. I think we were watching that game together because you were just, you were just a holy mother pearl. Yeah. Like just. Oh, holy mother pearl. One of my favorite phrases. <laughs> I may have said something else. So, by the way, with uh, Woodward Sports, we could we can swear when needed, but I just I don't know. Like I, a lot of a lot of our uh, fans have said they don't like us when we swear too much, so I'm not going to. We've gone through phases. Well. We went through a phase where a couple I think feel like a year there where we were just swearing up a storm, and it was like, yeah, this yeah. is who we are. And then yeah, some people were like, hey, I'm listening to this with like my kids. We're like, what? Why? <laughs> <laughs> But shout out to people with the, the the parents who listen to us in the audience. But uh, yeah, for the most part, we don't need to swear. Now, yeah, we don't need to swear. It's uh, yeah. it's expressive. I mean, fiddlesticks and I'm going back to my Catholic school days with holding my tongue. I still, by the way, in fifth grade, I, there was a little. Every time I swore, I got a quarter or a quarter in a jar, and it was like eight bucks after maybe a month or so. And this is after like just I never paid it. No, I don't. Anyway, that's not the either there. It's irrelevant to the conversation. What is relevant to the conversation, though, however, speaking of things doing with Woodward Sports, go out to the Brass Rail July, excuse me, July. Wow. Thursday <laughs> for the draft party at the Brass Rail. All the Woodward Sports personalities will be there, so you can check them out. Come on by as the Lions are doing the draft thing and there's been some mock drafts. There's all this stuff draft, 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 draft. So check out the Lion stuff. And also, it's a good time. Brass Rail, good pizza. Ate there last week. Fantastic service. So all the Woodward personalities will be there. Like I said, Big D Energy, the morning, the morning Woodward show, Braylon, Ryan Armani, all these people will be there. So I just wanted to give them a quick plug as they've been plugging my work. And so thank you. For that, for that to happen. So, anyways, brass rail, seven o'clock, draft party. We, I was thinking about going, but then I realized we had to do a podcast. And well, yeah, we have to do a podcast because the Dodgers game is at ten o'clock. So we have to. Well, I got to take a nap if, that day. If I have <laughs> a suggestion for them, I would say set up so they're they're sitting in front of the B and the R and brass rail. <laughs> I like but, it. Uh, the uh, yeah, what were we gonna talk about? Yeah, I love a draft. I, I, somebody, it was funny, somebody randomly DM'd me on Twitter. My DMs are open if you ever want to say hello. Uh, and he was like, hey, do you want to participate in our mock draft? Uh, you can, you know, the, pick for the Bengals at 31. And I'm like, Bengals? What? Who is this person? And it was, I think it was somebody who just saw Motor City Bengals for some reason and thought that maybe I, I care about the Cincinnati Bengals. So I was like, <laughs> well, hey, thanks for the invite, but... Uh, I don't know anything about the NFL. I, I don't even know what the Lions need, let alone uh, the Bengals, other than the Lions need everything, I assume. Yeah. So You should have done it and drafted Boomer Esiason. <laughs> <laughs> Just you know, sabotage their whole big thing. No, it was, Ken Anderson. I used to care a lot more about football than I do now, and uh, yeah. I would do mock drafts and stuff like that. And it, it's, <laughs> That sort of thing is nerdy fun to me, but uh, I don't know. It'll be, I'll watch a little bit, I guess, but yeah, I'm going to focus more on the Dodgers game. It's always fun when the Tigers go out to LA. Yep. Definitely. At so least, uh, get... Chavez Ravine. I don't like well, it in Anaheim. Yeah, I, no, <laughs> Anaheim, the Tigers are horrible. They've only had, I think, in the last 30 years, maybe three times they've gone 500 in Anaheim, period. Yeah, and I think one of the years was like uh, 20, 
2019 when they lost 100 and one of the like they they went and swept the Angels in LA and it was like the year that they lost 114 games. What the hell? Yeah, of course. But anyway, go figure. So we got questions this evening. Yes, we do. We got a fair amount of them. Uh, this one, uh, Channing Cummins. Um, he said, "When can I join?" Too many questions to type. Then he said, "What's your favorite hot dog?" And icebreaker, uh, like do you feel we're at make or break moment in the season? Injuries, lack of offense, etc. Well, as far as favorite hot dogs concerned, ah, man, you know, I had, what's the there's a salsarito. Is a salsa? I'm, I'm totally in pronouncing the salsarello. Uh, darn it! I'm just gonna look it up. <laughs> well, I, I will say that when I was growing up like a teenager uh, we discovered the hebrew national hot dogs and i really dug those for a while but then tara is way into kogels which are i believe made in detroit or dearborn mm-hmm. oh yes the uh those the are natural casing yeah natural casing yeah they've got the nice snap to them and yeah those are super tasty so those are my favorite and and like you know i i don't i'm not uh, a stickler for what you put on your hot dogs i don't care i want people to eat whatever the hell they want to like Nothing bothers me more than people arguing about like pineapple on pizza or ketchup on hot dogs. Like, who cares? <laughs> what do you want? Yeah. Um, I, I don't care. Yeah, but I do like I do like getting kind of wild. We we used to have a red hot place come to our work, and I'd have Chicago dogs, which are like nice. I don't know whoever came up with that weird combination, but sure they're tasty, and I'd throw a horseradish on there, whatever. So, yeah, eat what you want. As far as hot dogs are concerned, in terms of like, it, like I said, the, there's one dog I had. I went to a Diamondbacks game. It was the only chance I knew I was going to go to Diamondbacks game. Diamondbacks game. And they had a hot dog out there with bacon, uh, with kind of, um, I can't think of what else was on there. It was like it had beans and salsa. I think it was like a, I want to say it was like a salsarito dog. And I know that I believe the Imperial over in Ferndale has it. I just can't hmm. think of the name of it. It's something, um, it's got great. It, <laughs> I can't think of it, but um, anyway, if I'm getting if I'm getting a hot dog at the ballpark, I like it. I like it on the grill. I do like it over steam because my my mom used to make them boiling hot water, and then she had this little cool great thing that she put the the yeah. buns on so you can get them toasted, nice and toasted. And I prefer hot dogs simply regular hot dogs, just ketchup, mustard, and um, some diced onions. But they have I don't know. I get snobby about it sometimes. I like them cooked. But the Sassarito dog I had, so I, again, totally butchering it. I'll research it, but those are one of the good, best do- hot dogs I've ever had. What about you, Youper, in terms of hot dogs? This won't mean anything to anybody outside of Des Moines, but there's a place called the Shell's Fine Foods here in Des Moines. They make a burger of the day, but they also do a hot dog of the day. And they come up with some of the most creative combos you've ever, you ever heard about. Um, the last one I had, uh, it came with... Uh, bacon, uh, some slaw, uh, kimchi as well, so to really spice Ooh. it up, and it was phenomenal. And they make they turn a a hot dog into something sexy. It's pretty cool. <laughs> I trust this man's opinion about hot uh, food because when I went down to Michigan and Iowa for uh, for football, he told me to go check out this place called the Flying Tomato. Is that right? The Flying Tomato? No, it's a wig and pen. The Wigan Pen, that's what it was. I'm sorry. The Wigan Pen. You ordered the, you ordered the flying tomato pizza. Yes, yeah, so that's what it was. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> that was one of the best pizzas I ever had. That was bar none. I remember Dan Griffin, a good friend of the a good friend of the show, and him and I were just astonished because at the time I didn't know you. I didn't know you as well as I do you know now before we started writing together. So, but it was just, it was fantastic. And I'm like, okay, for now on, if Youper says, go here, go here. But uh, another question about the, a, a milestone yeah. is it a make or break moment in the season uh, uh i will say maybe know, it's a six game road it's a six game road trip right yeah you know if they go on six do you want to say they're they're burying themselves i mean you know i'm not going to spend a lot of time arguing with someone but if they just do two and four three and three then you just keep moving along and see when they catch a hot streak you know we'll know more about this team after they get hot for a while and then see how they progress from that point. I agree. I mean, I think this is a, it's a, it's a really 
a challenging series from not to say the Rockies weren't challenging. I mean, I, I thought the Rockies, there's a lot of players. I got to admit, I'm not really a Rockies. You know, I, I, I found out more about the Rockies this weekend more than like thanks to Noah in the press box, but also just watching them play. They're really in terms of like, just, I thought defensively, they were a lot better than I thought they were going to play. And they have a lot of guys that are not household names, but you you look at, the gentleman who started on Saturday, the second game. Um, Chad Koo. Yeah, Chad oh, Koo. Was he Sunday? Was he Sunday? Chad Koo. Maybe Gomber it was Saturday. Saturday. Yeah, Gomber. Was, Gomber they got in the yeah. Arenado deal, I think. But Chad Koo is a cool customer. I mean, he did really well and held the Tigers in check. So, but I, I think if they, I, I agree with you for here. If they even go two and four, Again, I'm not trying to sound like uh, I should expect uh, we should be five and one. Be not and no, no, just I'll be realistic here. Three and three, cool, cool, cool. Well, Sunday, thank you, Jeremy. Three and three, I'd be fine with. I, I actually be more ecstatic if it was there were three and three, but right. they're just li- kind of limping right now a little bit. Yeah, it's so early in the season; it doesn't yeah. really matter that much. Like you've said, if they go on six, it's kind of ugly. But you know, I'd be I like fine the with them going. I'd be fine with them going two and four if the two wins came against the Twins. Yes. You know, take take the series from – because that's where they lost this season last year, right? And they, yeah. they did well against non-division teams that got smoked by the division. And so start winning the series against your division, guys, and then you, you can think about maybe making the playoffs. But, well, yeah, the, I, I don't know. The Tigers have proven that they are unsweepable. No <laughs> one can sweep these Tigers, damn it. We cannot <laughs> well, be slept. Yeah, and, and – uh, yeah. Uh, but uh, it doesn't. It doesn't scream must uh, must win to me. It, it's the division itself is kind of up in the air right now. The White Sox just lost Elo Jimenez again for a long time. Uh, they got swept I, by the Twins. I saw that injury too. Ooh. Yeah, it's um, you know everybody's kind of scrambling to to survive at this point. So just go out there, play, try to get a couple wins, and uh, come home. We, we have always said I mean, that April was going to be a tough month for them no matter what, just because of who they're playing. And they caught the Rockies at, like, it's just one of those, the classic cliche, it's not who you play, but when you play them. The Rockies are playing well right now. I bet you in, like, a month and a half, they're going to be garbage. And the Tigers are like, ah, why couldn't we get them now? But uh, that's how it goes. So, yeah, get through April, close to 500, and then make your move. Yep. There um, you go. What's the next question? Steve Cook uh, said, how surprised are you at the bullpen? Nice three-headed monster and Lang, uh, Fulmer, and Soto. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I think those three have largely performed the way we expected. It's the rest of the bullpen that's surprising to me. Joe Jimenez has been really solid so far, uh, which I never expected to see again. And <laughs> then you got guys, Raj, you mentioned Hutchison. Yeah. If uh, Jacob Barnes has pitched well for him, I, I yeah. You know, it's uh, it's it's another one of those things that could be a small sample size. And whenever you end up using your bullpen too much, they always fall apart because that's just the way it goes. But so far, so good. They're kind of keeping them afloat, if you will. Yeah, and there's, I, I think the one of the things that I even surprised me a little bit is, you know, let's talk about this. Is Will Vest? I mean, Will Vest looked a little, it looked a lot better this weekend. Looks like he, they're they're working on. They're working on a slider, what? Because the slider usually kind of hangs up there, doesn't really snap off really well. But I thought Vest pitched better, and if he can get, if he can even get out there and and be effective a little bit, that just goes, that just helps out, especially with. You saw Jason Foley went down, went down to Toledo. Ronnie Garcia, somehow, I mean, I was kind of surprised. I'll be honest, I was kind of surprised to see. Uh, fully go down over Garcia, but then I thought about it. Garcia can be a long reliever. Fully isn't, you know, more than two innings, maybe tops. Yeah, and, and I think I mean they, they've I think they challenged Foley to go a couple innings in spring training, maybe once. They want to uh, Hinch wants all his relievers to be able to do that. I think. Right. Um, but the thing with Foley is, is at this point he's not much more than like a harder throwing Brian Garcia. He doesn't miss bats. They they yeah. kind of want him to be a ground ball reliever you know come in there and get a key double play but you have to miss some bats and he just doesn't do that right now so they're they're going down there and trying i think they they said what uh you know be better early against early batters and be better against lefties so i I don't know he's got 
an interesting slider, an interesting splitter. He just doesn't use them very much. I've I've liked Barnes in a couple times I've seen him. Uh, yeah. It was interesting in spring training when when they got rid of him and they got him back. Luckily, no one scooped him up. I think Hinch said, you know, because of the shortened spring training, they probably had gotten rid of him too early. Uh, I, uh, so I think they see something there. Uh, I like some of the movement that he seems to have. Uh, I, I, you know, if, if he's at the back of your bullpen, that's some, probably something to work with. Absolutely. I mean, you talk about missing bats. Tigers over the week before the weekend, they were under seven K per nine. Now they're just over seven. And you like to see the number climb up a little bit, but I'm at this point, I'm just excited for the fact that they have an effective bullpen that can carry them out right now, with especially all the injuries to the starters. I mean, even with Doyle or Doyle Alexander, wow, Tyler Alexander struggling again a little bit yesterday. The bullpen bailed him out. And as far as Jacob Barnes is concerned, by the way, you know what helps you stay in the bullpen? Not walking anybody. Six innings yet, and he hasn't walked a single batter. And yeah. that's that's something. Happy. Yeah, definitely. That that's and that's why you started noticing the last couple of days they've used him more in high pressure situations because he goes out there and either he'll pitch the contact because I mean he, does he have swing and miss stuff? Sure, but he hasn't really struck out a lot of batters. And I'm not always going to emphasize strikeouts on a lot of these guys, but just it's important because if in order for your bullpen to go in the playoffs, you're going to need to miss more bats, and so. But anyway, yeah, you were a good call on Barnes. I I really like his progress. And, and Chris, yeah, Jimenez yesterday, three, oh, he, he struck out uh-huh. the side, right? I think so, yeah. I'm, yeah. yeah, he's, yeah. He's nice to see him being able to pitch well. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, bullpen. We say this all the time. Relievers are so weird. Jacob yeah. Barnes had, you know, a couple solid years to start his career, and then he's been struggling for the last few. And, and you get some confidence. You tweak your stuff, and suddenly you can be solid again. It, it happens, and then they disappear just as quickly. Like. So Jose Cisnero was in Siberia for like five years and then came up and was a solid reliever. And unfortunately he may never be back, uh, yeah. which it sucks, but that's the way it goes. And you need to have, you need to have an arsenal full of relievers that you can at least try out. And so, yeah, I've been impressed by the way they've used it. And, and we do have a question about who's going to go down, but we can get to that in a second. Um, uh, Deadly Ninja Bees uh, asked us a question. He said, uh, last year changes were made to the roster after a bad first month. Are we expecting something similar, or will the beatings continue until morale improves? <laughs> I like that one. You were going to take this one. I'm gonna, I got to think about this for a minute. Well, what changes are there to make? You know, who's, who's on the 40-man roster that's readily available to come up and will be a real improvement? I mean, is, is, is Cody Clemens going to be a big improvement over – Willie Castro, you know, uh, I, I don't know. Maybe uh, in the short term, I doubt it. Um, so I, I think really it's about the IL. They got it. Mm-hmm. Who's coming back and who's not? And more so than what's in the minors. Uh, you know, what's the, what's Baez going to do here now that he's back? Uh, when is Riley Green really targeted to be back? Uh, are they? Are we going to see Mize before June? Uh, tell me that, then we'll 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 know something. But other than that, I, I bet they're barely status quo for a little while here. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the difference between this team and last uh, year's team is that there are far far fewer placeholders. You could argue there aren't any. I mean, last year, who who did they get rid of? They got rid of Wilson Ramos because uh, Rogers and then Haas started playing so well. They got rid of and Ramos was on a one year deal. They got rid of Nomar Mazzara, who was on a one year deal. They got rid of Renato Nunez who was um, like basically a minor league signing. Like who do they get rid of this year that you could Tucker Barnhart is the only guy really on a one-year deal and Michael Pineda, but that's not really, I mean, he was, he was solid in his first outing. So yeah, unless, yeah, unless there's another situation where like suddenly Haas and Garneau are just out there hitting two home runs a game. I don't see them parting ways with Tucker Barnhart anytime soon. So no, I think, yeah, this is not a, a, a roster that you fix by replacing guys. It's a, uh, at some point, Riley Green is going to come up, and that's going to help. And uh, you just got to get Scope and Candelario going. We know that they're capable and hope that Badu can pick it up. And then suddenly, we said it before, like, suddenly this lineup looks a lot deeper if those guys can hit just a little. Yeah, but by the way, I thought Jeremy made a good point about Willie 
Peralta and uh, Tyler Alexander switching roles. I mean, Peralta has been hitting 97. He's looked pretty good. So that could be a possibility. But other than that, I just, again, yeah, I don't see a lot of things changing roster-wise because you see Alex Fado, but Alex Fado going up to Toledo. So maybe he might be pitching out of the – he could be – he could get a spot in the bullpen. Who knows? Depending on how he does in Toledo. But other than that, I mean, if the, another starter goes down, do the Tigers have to press in the duty Elvin Rodriguez? I can see that. I mean, yeah. Yeah. It, it, they're going to, we, we talked about before, our teams usually need 10 to 12 starters over the course of the season, maybe more this year because of all the injuries. But um, you mentioned Fayeto. Uh, our, our next question is from, from Steve Butts. And he said, with Bo Brisky looking promising in his first start, you know, the upcoming league mandated roster reductions, I'm curious about which pitchers you think will still be around after May 2nd. We know Brisky's getting another start. They've already said it. But I do think he's a guy who will probably go down. Uh, just because they'll want him to pitch on a regular basis, right. making starts every five six days. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it we, it's kind of tough because we were discussing with the bullpen. They're actually pitching really well. It's kind of a hard decision now to send people down. I think it's, it may end up being simply based on who can be sent down. Yeah, normally yeah. I would say those situations solve themselves because somebody gets hurt and somebody starts to pitch poorly. But May second is just about here, yeah. <laughs> so it's it's going to be interesting. I, well, yeah, I don't think if they have to send somebody down, it'd probably be Ronnie Garcia. Didn't they already send him down? Or no, they send Angel De Jesus down. Yeah, they send De Jesus down. Yeah. So yeah, Ronnie Garcia is not going to stick around. He's a long reliever that they'll have Peralta and Alexander in that role, hopefully eventually. Uh, although you know we, we've got there's no timetable for Mize returning, right? And then they sent Manning down to Lakeland as well. I think. Yep. Uh, so, I mean that that was one of those. Remember when Derek Hill in spring training came up uh, lame a little bit and it was like, oh, it's just a cramp. And then and like two days later, it was like, oh, he's on the injury list. Right? So I don't know. You know, they, they didn't seem terribly concerned about Matt Manning's, uh, was it his shoulder? Yeah. Arm. Yep. Um, you know, anytime, anytime a pitcher isn't feeling right in the arm area or the shoulder area, then you, you have to be worried about that. So to Yoop's point, maybe these things will work themselves out. Maybe Brisky will be sticking in the rotation for a while, but. Yeah, I think, I don't know, it, it's going to be, like I said, who, who they can send down is that, I don't know if Barnes has any options left. Garcia certainly does. Uh, who else would have options? Joe Jimenez might have one, which would be unfortunate. Yeah. Lang probably has one, but, like, you don't want to send those guys down. So, I don't know. They may end up working with a, a like, a two-man bench or three-man bench. We, we might see, you know, somebody like Garneau, unfortunately, get designated for assignment again. I don't know. Yeah, that third catcher is a luxury that, you know, is a rare thing in the modern game. No question. Yeah. And by the way, there was over the weekend, Kyle Funkhauser went on a 60. He's now he's on a 60 day aisle. So that. Yeah, that's, that's how they made room for Brisky, right? Yeah. And remember, everybody, we had certain people saying, oh, he'll be, he'll be fine in a couple of weeks. So he'll, he'll come back. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you do wonder when shoulder injuries are lingering that long, you wonder if it might end up being the dreaded uh, thoracic outlet surgery. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, not a lot of guys come back strong from that. Funkhauser is young enough that I would hold out hope. But I think Bonderman was young too. He just he had a lot more innings on his arm. But didn't Funkhauser have Tommy John already too when he was in college? Did he have Tommy John? I, I know he had. I thought he had repeated shoulder issues at times. I don't think he had Tommy John. In oh, okay, maybe okay. I just remember him being injured. I couldn't remember what it was. Yeah, and then the time he slipped on or broke his foot on a crack in Toledo or something like that. I, I'd have to go back and look. To... Sounds like a broke riddle. The way you really... Yeah, it's <laughs> gonna say nursery rhyme. <laughs> I'm not laughing at him, by the way. We're not laughing. It was just no, no. I mean, we're laughing Funkhouse with was, him. Was great for like five months last year, and he. he Fell down, fell apart down the stretch, but that was like I said earlier. You know, when you rely on the bullpen so much, eventually they all kind of break. So hopefully that didn't cause that. But it would be great to get him back because he was a, a nice weapon for him. But yeah, when when and and it hopefully it's just like hey, they could put him on the sixty day IL. They aren't expecting him back until mid June or something like that. Anyway, they think he's fine. But yeah, don't want to be uh, it's wishful thinking probably. Definitely. I was just going to move on to the final question, but if you go ahead. 
there's another one from Steve Butts. He said, last year, aggressive base running really helped to lift the Tigers' offense. It seems like they should slug more and have less need for aggressive running, but I also wonder if there's a psychological spark that could be ignited by being more aggressive for this current roster. I can that's a that's a multi-layered question there, but I I, I like Steve's questions tonight too. He's been the questions are yeah. good. So thank you, Steve, by the way. Thanks for everybody sending in questions Absolutely. recently. Uh I think based off the, the talent, like the the guys they have, for example, Grossman, Castro, although Castro's kind of the way he stumbles sometimes around the bases. I think I think it's a good idea because it's kind of like what you used to see in the '80s when a team didn't have any slugging. You know, we saw was it Whitey Whitey Ball mm-hmm. uh, yeah, for the Cardinals. You saw that Billy Martin was good at that too with that, and it's kind of like an old school approach to it because those teams would run because they lacked a, a power or they lacked power bats. And after the late '80s, the reason why steal numbers went down is because people were just homering anyway. So the stealing was what's the point? A lot of hit and runs were a big thing back then. So I, I think that's a, a psychological effect right there. It's, it's a nod to eighties baseball to a certain extent or seventies, well, seventies, eighties baseball. I mean, the, the great seals, you have a uh, great Ricky Henderson, you have Lonnie Smith, you have Vince Coleman. Uh, what else is it? I'm trying to think of some other guys, but hey, either way, I just think it's kind of an old school approach. Tim Rain. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's interesting because the tigers are getting on base a lot. They're walking a ton. Part of that's Torkelson, and part of it, uh, Barnhart has been walking a lot. Grossman is back getting on base at a fair clip. They just aren't hitting for any power. And that's mm-hmm. like, and part of the problem is the guys who are getting on base, like you heard me mention them, like Meadows gets on base at a high clip. He's not very fast. Grossman is like the fastest one of those guys. And even then, it's like, you know, he's more of a kind of an opportunistic, smart base runner. He stole 20 bases last year, but, it, but I wouldn't call him a burner by any means. And then you got you're getting talking Cabrera and Torkelson. These guys are are not exactly uh, speed burners, and they've they've they have pushed the envelope a little bit. They feel like they've been thrown out on the bases several times already. And uh, wasn't that didn't they have one where they got thrown out at home too? Torkelson got thrown out at home, I think, on the contact play. They've been pushing it a little bit, but I want to say they, they last I checked they were one for four on steals. They might be better than that now. It's uh you know you play to the strengths of your roster, and, and maybe Akil Badu would run more if he got on base more. And, yeah. uh, you know, Victor yeah. was kind of doing stuff like that, I think, but he's hurt now and they do have Hill back. So maybe, maybe he can provide a spark in that regard, but I don't know. I think they really just need to slug their way out of this. They're getting up. Like I said, they're getting on base. They just need a couple three run homers in one game. That'll do. Right. Yeah. It always does. The old, the old Earl Weaver style. Yeah. Well, hey, Jonathan Scope just got to quit missing a ball by a foot and a half on some of these swings he's taking. And, and we know that he will at some point. Yes. At some point, he will start hitting everything uh, 110 miles an hour, and, and it'll last for a couple of weeks. And we'll go, oh, man, look at this guy. Good thing they signed him, and then it'll go away again because that's just who he is. <laughs> yep. Yeah. On that note, though, I think it's time to wrap up the podcast. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back on Thursday after the series wraps up with the Twins as the Tigers will, again, take on the L.A. Dodgers. And from there, really, the next week they come home to take on a two-game series with the Pirates before they hit the road again, which is a strange thing. So I, I don't understand how that works. But, again, scheduling people are – it's going to be more of a quote-unquote balanced schedule soon. Yeah, they get those yearly uh, matchups against the Pirates. I, uh, I'll never <laughs> quite understand it. I guess it's just like, eh, you know, they're kind of Midwest. They're right? rivals. Yeah, yeah. rivals. And, and, and you know what, Uper? Rivals in huge quotations rivals because they if there's one rival that's forming right now i'm gonna go i'm gonna put it out a venture and say it's gonna be the white Sox. i think the white Sox and the tigers are gonna have some more chippy matchups coming up soon just yeah. a hunch and no you know just basically the the two towns already don't like each other as it stands to a certain extent but well, they had their little tiff last year it can only build you know? yeah yeah and, and the tigers i personally i think the tigers need something like that just because Again, maybe it's not for like a mental, like a, a lot of the stuff like uh, momentum's all like momentum's. You yeah, can either believe in momentum or don't. It's it's not a real thing. It's not a tangible thing. It's something that you kind of say, "Oh, we have the momentum and and we have the the advantage." But 
the White Sox right now definitely do quote unquote have that momentum, but I don't know. I, I don't really think the, the, it's just a good rival would be doing would do some good not only on the home front, but uh I I, I wait too. The Tiger fans need to go on the road. They, I mean they're not gonna try to get scared in Chicago, but no, but not like what happened what the other day with the Dodgers and Padres. Oh, there's always fights at Dodgers fans, I think. I'm telling you this right now. My one experience of going to LA, don't wear your don't wear your team's hat. Just don't. Just I saw a poor Cardinals fan. This is Cardinals and Dodgers and it was the AL or NLDS. I was out in LA for work and I remember getting off the train and there was a Cardinals fan waiting to go to the airport. He had a, he had his hat on and a couple of Dodgers fans knock off his head. He's like, You're in the wrong part of town, man. You don't belong here. Yeah. And that was kind of like I said, and I Luckily for me, I didn't wear my Tigers hat, and I because I, I but this is I this is well this is not, that's a new one but my old Tigers hat that I took well actually this is the same hat I took this hat to England I took it that's like a kind of lucky thing I have anyway I did not wear my hat that day I'm glad I didn't but then again maybe they would have looked at me differently I don't know Detroit's way it's represented across the world is a little different but one more time to want to remind everybody check out the twenty twenty two NFL draft party on April on this Thursday. Live stream from the Brass Row in Detroit, 7.30 until the 32nd pick. Join the entire Woodward Sports family, and it's brought to you by Citron, Gypsy Vodka, Planet Fitness. We'll see you you Thursday night. Same bat time, same bat channel. Until then, have a good week, everybody.